Thanks, Leon. Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to meet with the Lord. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time that we can gather in this place to worship you. We pray especially as we sit at your feet to listen to your word, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts may be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Very good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. <laughs> I'm so used to doing the Saturday afternoon service here. It's just uh, instinct to say good afternoon. It's actually good morning. I'm so glad uh, you're here. How many of you are the first time in the multi-purpose halls? Yeah, the handful of you, I know, because we always meet downstairs in the sanctuary. You've never had opportunity to come up. Uh, just for your information, every Saturday, they meet here uh, for the contemporary uh, uh, service. And yesterday was overwhelming. I think the first time we had such a large number of people, young people especially. Uh, I saw a lot of faces I didn't recognize, but I don't know whether it's because I don't recognize them or the mask <laughs> prevents me from recognizing them. I'm looking forward, of course, to next week. Because by next week, uh, as you know, from tomorrow onwards, the mask mandate is removed only for public transport or uh, healthcare situations. Uh, it's optional. In other words, if you still feel you um, maybe uh, um, uh, are at risk or you have other concerns, you're free to wear the mask. But I look forward to you unmasking so that I can see your lovely faces <laughs> and see the response especially. I've entitled my sermon today, Downward Mobility which is, of course, odd because that's not how we think of it, right? Mobility, often we think of, is upward mobility. We're always striving to reach a pinnacle. There is an ambition to be the best. And, you know, there's nothing wrong, in a sense, to uh, um, want to do better than you have done before. But if you scratch the surface and you ask yourself, you know, why do people engage in the rat race? Why is there such a drive for meritocracy? You know, too often, I think, we are um, not satisfied with where we're at. That we want more. And not always in a godly way. <laughs> uh, the other day, I was talking with my uncle who has uh, retired. And he was remarking to me how amazing that, you know, um, I can't remember which luxury car. I just picked the one that I know best. But one of the luxury cars in Singapore, he says there's an 18-month wait list to get the car. They can't get enough stock in. I, I, I thought, you know, we are going through economic <laughs> turmoil. Obviously, there's some Singaporeans not affected. I wanted to ask him, why you try to book? Ah? <laughs> in retirement, you still dare to buy this type of car. <laughs> no, but I didn't, you know, I'm a respectful nephew. Anyway, as I reflect on this uh, passage from Luke 14, you know, I was reminded from the uh, epistle to James, this injunction, that he gives more grace, that is God does. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I'm using this verse in a sense to organize my thoughts about this passage. But let's launch into the passage from verse 1 we see. One Sabbath, when he, that is Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Jesus was an equal opportunity diner, <laughs> right? He ate with the sinners and tax collectors, but he also ate with the religious. He had time for the irreligious people, but he also had time for those who were religious. And you see 
uh, him gathering here, what's curious to me is, you know, this uh, last bit of the verse, it says that they were watching him carefully because what happens next, you know, is kind of suspicious because it says, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, I couldn't figure out what in the world is dropsy, so I looked. And it's uh, in the message, it talks about how he had hugely swollen in his joints. He was hugely swollen in his joints. There was a retention of water. Whether it's a, a, a symptom or a cause, not sure. It could have been a kidney issue, a heart issue. You know, something was definitely not wrong with him and it was visible that there was an issue. But, you know, they were watching him closely and it says that, you know, Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it not lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Eh? Doesn't this sound familiar? <laughs> Last week, there was an incident like that where Jesus healed that woman who was bent over and, you know, they got on his case for healing on the Sabbath. Sounds to me like they're trying to trap him. Right? They couldn't reply him the last week or the last uh, incident. They want to catch him now and find a way to uh, you know, catch him out. But Jesus understood their plans and he healed the man and sent him away. The very fact that this man didn't stay for dinner, it's obviously he was a plant, or at least in my mind, he was probably a plant. But it goes on to say that he addressed them and he said the very same thing he said in the previous incident, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. They couldn't reply the last time. They couldn't reply this time because they had no real reason to um, uh, 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 impute, uh, uh, you know, find him guilty. I can't remember what the word would be for that. But we carry on then in verse 7 because I want to focus more on the parable than on the incident because we've already covered that in some sense. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor uh, when they were sitting. And uh, he goes on to say, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now on the surface, you read this and you wonder, Oh, is Jesus teaching him how to play politics? <laughs> You know, find a way to get more recognized than others. I don't think that's how Jesus operates. You know, I, 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 it struck me, as you know, we went to uh, Hanoi as part of the work in the deanery of Vietnam, uh, and I visited with the bishop because it was his first Episcopal visit, uh, uh, visit to Vietnam. And we made arrangements to meet up with the government officials, the, the chairman of the Government Committee of Religious Affairs, the person in Vietnam who oversees all uh, religions um, uh, granted us an audience, and what we 20 minutes uh, meeting ended up being one and a half, you know, because he was so interested in the work and he really uh, wanted to find out about the Anglican Church. And at the end, you know, was asking how we could help them uh, 
deal with the uh, mental health issues that have arisen out of COVID because of our uh, community services here in Singapore that uh, focus on the issues of mental health. But uh, one of the things I noticed is because it was an official visit, there were very uh, carefully selected places where to sit. And we were all directed to seats because it was according to our ranking, so to speak. And when I looked across the room, because you know the, the, the diocesan people were on this side, then on the other side would be the uh, um, members of the, uh, this Committee on Religious Affairs, the director, uh, chief of staff, the director of uh, um, Protestant Affairs, director of Foreign Affairs, you know, all the different uh, portfolios. And, and, and then right at the end, poor Karen had to sit right at the end on our end because she was <laughs> accompanying me. She didn't have an official uh, position or title. Uh, but nonetheless, I can imagine that's the case in this dinner. Everyone was trying to up uh, the other in who is more important than the other. And I think it's in that context that Jesus said this. That why are you guys so keen to elevate yourselves? That you are not content with your place in life. That you're trying to one-up one another. And he, the condition of their hearts. And you know, this uh, uh, truth that is repeated throughout Scripture is the fact that, you know, those who are humble, God's grace is available to them. But pride, you know, is, is probably the worst of all sins. That's exactly what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Right? He was the chief of, of, of the archangels. And because of his pride, he was sent down to the lower regions. But it's all well and good to say, you, be humble. <laughs> Me, be humble. Right? It's, it's something which, you know, when you pursue humility, in, in a way, it's almost counterintuitive. You're trying to make yourself, oh, be more humble, be more humble. It doesn't seem to work that way. So how do we find humility? And as I was uh, studying this passage, um, J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop in Liverpool in the, well, two centuries ago now, uh, he, in talking about humility, he said this, the root of humility is right knowledge. The man who really knows himself and his own heart, who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ and the price at which he was redeemed, that man will never be a proud man. In other words, if you understand who you are, a sinner saved by grace, and the fact that Jesus came and he died on the cross for us, not because we are deserving, like uh, Pakchi was saying, not only are we undeserving, we are ill-deserving. What we deserve is what Jesus received. When you begin to understand that about yourself, how can you not be humble? How can you not, you know, have a heart that is open always to God? Knowing that, you know, we need him from first to last. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way, When a man is humbled by the law and brought to the knowledge of himself, then follows true repentance. For true repentance begins at the fear and judgment of God. That the law has its place to show us 
who we truly are, how we have fallen short, how we desperately need a Savior. That's why, you know, we are so committed to the Word of God. That uh, uh, the epistle of James, he also pointed out, you know, it's, it's like a mirror that reflects who you are. That if you are a hearer and not a doer, you are like a man who looks in the mirror and walks away and immediately forgets what you look like. <laughs> I hope that's none of you. If, if that's you, you maybe need to go see doctor, maybe early signs of dementia. <laughs> but no, you know, that's what the Word of God is for. That's why I want to skip over then to the epistle reading from Hebrews because, you know, Hebrews, just like many of the epistles, whether it's written by Paul or anyone else, always starts with who we are in Christ. Always starts with the grace of God that has been lavished upon us. Always starts with God's uh, work in redeeming us, taking us out of darkness into His marvelous light. But then the second half of the letter is always, because it's written to churches, it needs to be practical. It says, in the light of that, how are you living? You know, do you live as if you're redeemed? Or are you still living in your old ways of life? And in this case, it's no different. Right, the letter to the Hebrews, he says to them, the, the Hebrew Christians, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. You know, he's saying like, you want to do prison ministry? Don't go in there and say, oh, look, I'm much better than you. Let me cry and help you and bring you up to my level. No, go there and Accept the fact that they were caught, you were not. That in our heart of hearts, we are no different, right? You read the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just a matter of the actions, it's the thinking. And you know, a lot of us, our thinking is no different from them. That when we go and minister, we go and minister as fellow sinners saved by grace. And that's the attitude we should have at all times. Those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body, <laughs> that you know also, you know, having to go through suffering and pain and trouble. And he continues, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Right? And and this is the reality he addresses right here, this issue of a lack of contentment, never being happy with what you have. You may say to me, but pastor, I don't love money. I love what money can buy. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> or I love the status that money grants me. Or I love the position of honor that I'm given because I'm a rich person. Oh, and I could go on and on and on. And I think, you know, it's precisely what Jesus was trying to address. This discontentment, not a holy discontentment, but, you know, an ungodly one, where there is this clamoring and, and trying to reach uh, a, a level where you are not at. And towards the end of the reading, in particular, verses 15 and 16, or verse 6 continues, you know, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, it's, it's how do we be content 
we be content in whatever situation we have because we know that me, with God, I have everything. <laughs> I have everything I need that the Lord provides. And He uh, uh, um, um, satisfies my soul. The, the verse which we often quote, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, who strengthens me, is in the context of Paul saying, I've learned to enjoy, you know, uh, when I abound, when I'm prosperous, when I have a lot, but I've also learned to deal with when I'm in lack, that I'm content in every situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's because if our focus is on Him and we know that He is with us, we can say, the Lord's my helper. What am I to be afraid of? What can man do to me? Nothing. If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes? So I skip on then down to the end of the reading. And the result is this. He says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such Sacrifices are pleasing to God. The sacrifices of praise we offer up are not to um, move God to give, ask Him, Lord, favor us, or approve of me, or to love me more. It is the fruit of our lips. The fruit from the root of our justification. The fruit from the fact that we are already approved by God. That He saved us and He loved us with an everlasting love. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. There's also nothing we can do to make Him love us less. That He loves us just as we are. And out of that fruit, we offer up a praise and a thanksgiving. You know, I'm looking for... <laughs> I, yesterday, I did this with the uh, Saturday service and say, Wow, Pastor, you really can't wait nah, to unmask. <laughs> but I'm saying one of the things I, I look forward to is without a mask that I hear you all sing louder, okay? Ken? <laughs> but... Nonetheless, where does this leave us? Um, some years ago, I was sharing with you this picture. It was taken from an article in Christianity Today. It was a review of a, a book of my friend, uh, a book written by my friend, uh, David Zar, on, uh, on seculosity. And, and the fact, you know, it was trying to illustrate is this, that so many of us in our upward mobility are actually climbing ladders to nowhere, as you can see. <laughs> Even this one down here at the end, you know, it, although it's cut off, it's no different from the other ladder, even though it's a longer ladder. And there's this reality in which all of us, you know, are striving at times, you know, in our accomplishments. If you stop and you ask the question, why am I doing it? It's because you're trying to justify yourself. You're trying to prove yourself uh, worthy. Maybe not of God, because you already know this if you're already a Christian here. But we try and prove to all those around us, whether it be our parents, or our peers, or our spouse, or our children even, that we are trying to show that we are worthy of being loved. The way David Zal said it is this, it is what we lean on to tell us we are okay, that our lives matter. It's another name for all the ladders we spend our days climbing toward a dream of wholeness, 
his point is this, that even the irreligious have a religion. He says, our small r religion is the justifying story of our life. You know, um, Andrew in leading in worship was talking about having no other gods before us. And while we may not have other gods in terms of uh, when we speak about religions and the religious gods, all of us, you know, John Calvin says, our hearts are like idol factories. <laughs> we have the capacity to take things and turn them into idols. What may in other uh, cases be good things, we turn them into ultimate things. And at the end of the day, they become our idols. And you know, David Zal goes on to speak about this, which I think has so much relevance to the reading today. He says, some of the most toxically performances environments exist inside the church where anxious people frantically try to outdo one another in the good works department, as if our spiritual resume was the ticket to God's approval. This sense of enoughness, am I enough? This longing in our human heart is, is really uh, uh, something that tends to drive us. And that's why I think Jesus goes on to say, you know, after he had told them how to find your seating in, a, in an official occasion, in verse 12 he continues, and he said also to the man who had invited him, i.e. the ruler of the Pharisees, the one who's right at the top, and he says to him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Does that mean you cannot have family dinners? No, <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. But he says, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. I.e., don't give it so that you can get something in return. Right? If that's your only motivation in life, then it's money better spent if you would give a feast to invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind. For you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And if you stop and you think about it, you know, Jesus didn't just say this to the rule of the Pharisees. He practiced this. Why Jesus had time for both the religious and the irreligious. That when he invited the uh, uh, poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, he was not just talking about those who are physically that way, but spiritually and emotionally as well. Now, I want to address what's happened in our society this past week. And you know, you know, one of the biggest things that came out of the National Day Rally speech was the whole question of 377A. And I'm not going to engage in politics, neither will I uh, say what uh, needs to be said. You know, I, I, I want to say this respectfully. It's going to be repealed. If the PM talks about it, you know, and the PAP has already decided, it's any real question. So we need to come to terms with it. But in a way, which I think uh, uh, pastorally, we need to be sensitive about this issue. Because now, I, I'm not saying it's wrong for the church to have spoken up. I think as citizens in this city, we need to speak what we are concerned about, the concerns of 377A were not about criminalizing uh, those who are same-sex uh, uh, attracted or, or behave in that way, but it's really about the fact that, you know, we've seen in every other society, once, you know, protections fall, they will start to push 
for greater uh, things to the point where in some Western societies, you know, as a pastor, if I stand up and say what I say, the Bible says, you know, there's a threat of criminal prosecution of hate speech. And, you know, we hope Singapore never goes that way. I'm grateful the government says they are aware of it and they are doing what they can. But I want to ask you a question. In one week, you know, I, I know once uh, uh, the law is repealed, a lot of people will start to feel much more comfortable identifying uh, in this way. And I, I, I paint a scenario for you which a friend of mine who pastored a church in the U.S. encountered where a couple walked in holding hands, they, you know, they were obviously uh, lovey-dovey, and I'm talking about a couple of two guys. And they sat in the middle of the church as visitors. How would you respond to that? How would we? And it would be very easy for us to, you know, uh, because of the rhetoric and the way we think, paint an us versus them picture. And I think that, is a problem. Because it assumes that they are sinners and we are not. It assumes, you know, I, I've had this conversation already and with people, uh, other people who say, oh, you know, maybe we ask them to go to another church that's more equipped. Uh, not that these people are not from this church. Okay, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but another Christian leader, right? <laughs> and they're, you know, because my people are very, very conservative don't think they can take it. And I scratch my head and I ask the question, okay, okay, if you say because they are living in sin, therefore they are not allowed here, then let's lock all the doors and don't let anyone in. As St. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And I'm not quoting Paul, I'm saying it about myself. Or are we going to open up and say oh, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame are welcome? Are we going to have a place in which you know we are truly uh, uh, inviting people to come and meet the Jesus who brings about real change? Or will our pride stand in the way, I see that as an intentional pun, right? And it's this verse that I believe, you know, we need to live by. The invitation that Jesus gave in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not talking about, as Christians, for us to relax the standards that the Lord has laid down in His Word. I'm not saying that we become you know, less than pursuing godliness and holiness if you stop and you think about it, our Lord, who is the most holy and godly man who ever walked the face of the earth? It's Jesus. Who flocked to him and came to him? Sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, 
Sadducees, they were always around him. Even though he would call them out, they were his own people. (laughs) He didn't see them as a different tribe. You know, when he corrected, it was out of love because he saw that they were going the wrong way and he said, you know, get back on the right path. But ultimately, his arms were open wide to welcome. And how can we as his people, how can we, the church, who is the body of Christ, representing him, be any less than that? We call ourselves Church of the Good Shepherd. And I remember, you know, when I, I came, that the, the, the impression the Lord laid upon my heart is that, you know, uh, the picture of Jesus seeing the crowds who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, the good shepherd, saying, you know, I am your shepherd. You shall not be in want. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. I'll lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in the accounts of the Gospel, we see that, Lord, your heart is for those who are downtrodden, those who struggle, those who have been trying to find their justification in something else. who are ultimately looking for love in all the wrong places. Father, we come before your throne of grace and we acknowledge each and every one of us that, Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. Firstly, Lord, we are grateful for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you saw us and you called us to yourself And you told us, come as you are. And Lord, we did. But Father, we are also grateful for your grace because you didn't leave us as we are. That you have been working in our hearts, each and every one of us, transforming us, changing us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. But Lord, in the days ahead, I pray that you will also give us hearts of compassion. That as we look on the masses of people in our community of Queenstown and beyond, that Lord, we will not have a mentality of us versus them, but see that Lord, we are all in the same boat and that all of us need a Savior. For those of us who have experienced that wonderful grace, Father, may we be channels of grace to others. Those of us who have experienced that unconditional love of God demonstrated for us on the cross that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, may we show that same love to others. Not because they are deserving, but because, Lord, they are men and women whom you love so much. Help us, Lord, to live in the light of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen.